0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Mandel Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein.
1: And hi, I'm Jennifer Waits.
0: Today, we're going to wrap up some radio history that we'd love to mark, as well as take a look back at some uh, recent radio events of import to grassroots radio, to community radio, and to college radio, and catch up on a little bit of news that we think is important to radio here as, as we go to recording for the week of November 9th of 2020. And, and in our background, there are things we don't know (laughs) about the world that we may know, uh, when, uh, when this episode goes live, but that's why we are studiously avoiding anything that requires us to predict what the future of our communications environment will be like in the future, except that which we which we know. Anyway, that's that's my uh, disclaimer here because it's it's hard to record a uh, yeah we a podcast we call
2: that this week Paul Paul we call that time dating in the uh, yeah. in the in the in the business and uh, you know this this program would be uh, time dated as all time shifted programming is uh you know I've it's funny that you bring this up because we'll move on quickly from this topic but i've been thinking about um you know the the greatest superpower of radio over podcasting is that when radio goes out live it's never time dated it it goes out live and podcasts no matter how quickly they are released in a breaking news environment uh they're time dated they're always time dated uh so that line uh, is getting blurred in 2020
0: it's getting blurred the new york times did a live stream of their podcast, The Daily on Tuesday. Well, I'd, I'd call that radio. Right, which of course <laughs> I think was still then available as a podcast, right? Sure. So, you know, and there are podcasts that are effectively, um, you know, the recording. Recorded live at the time, yeah. Yeah, recorded live at the time or recorded live on air. So, you know, it's eventually, you know, they're, they're just time shifted radio. And then, but, you know, but that's not really like a, a This American Life or or many other shows which are themselves pre-recorded, you know, they're never really aired live. Um, They're all pre-recorded. And so the podcast and the radio version are not, are not so different.
2: And since you mentioned the elephant in the room, uh, radio survivor is very excited to discuss the media landscape as it emerges closer to the, the uh, transition of executive power or lack thereof. Uh, We'll be following the federal communications commission closely uh, it could be very exciting to talk about the future of of uh the media that we care about in the United States and how how the executive branch of the federal government controls holds and not and uh as well as Congress you know those are um it's been it's been a generation since Congress uh implemented uh any sort of uh, ground shaking uh, uh, legislation to change the media environment. I'm referring to the 1998 Telecommunications
0: 1996.
2: Act. 1996, thank you. Uh, but, you know, anything's possible in, in 2021.
0: Indeed, indeed. So um, we're going to talk, I'll start things off actually with a little bit of, of contemporary news in that we learned that the FCC this month decided to allow AM radio stations to convert to all digital Operation. This is something we previewed a number of weeks ago. Uh, I definitely have written about over on our website, radiosurvivor.com, but they made the decision, uh, and it was all five, all five of the FCC commissioners, the people who make these decisions, all voted in favor of allowing uh, radio stations on the AM dial to opt in to all digital broadcasts. And this is an important point. You know, back in 2009, TV stations... All moved to digital, right? And this was this was mandatory. It was a mandatory digital switchover. A long, a long, delayed mandatory switch,
2: which uh made most made all these old devices obsolete.
0: Right, and you know, so it was a big shakeup, and they they and people had to to buy uh, converter boxes, and you got a coupon in the mail to buy them at a discount from the federal government. Uh, and now, but you know, what an point, amazing stimulus! For nobody the media. thinks about it, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is not quite like that, right? Digital radio now has existed for the better part of a decade, uh, known as HD radio, and it's popular a hybrid in cars, system, right? You've explained to me. I don't know it's. I don't know if we would new, say popular. New that cars is, have the feature. If it is listened to, that is most likely where it is listened to, because right. most. New cars come with an HD radio-capable receiver, whereas your typical pocket radio, the type of radio you might use around the house, is very unlikely to be able to receive digital broadcasts. And I'm
2: excited you're bringing news of AM radio to Radio Survivor. I just want to throw into the mix before you get back to the actual facts of today's story that AM radio, to me, is the most forgotten spectrum in the country. And the reasons why we've talked about it on the show before, on the one hand, it, it sounds... Poor compared to the other uh audio streams that we're used to these days on the fm radio or on the internet or from the you know the the the, the physical media that you can carry around everything sounds better than am radio but the other reason that am radio is forgotten in my opinion is that uh, the content is so uh uh <laughs> niche <laughs> terrible question mark how would you know which adjective pick your adjective for the content of am radio on in an overall sense well, i mean am
0: radio is dominated by uh in terms of commercial am radio is dominated basically by two formats uh news talk which also encompasses a lot of um Talk radio that really isn't news, not really journalism, but that is right wing opinion, opinion programming. Yeah, and and mostly right wing. You know, there's an attempt to put some left. Yeah, mostly AM mostly right wing, mostly conservative and and sports. And sports talk, yeah. Radio, right. you which like which sports includes talk, Which includes both um, you know, uh, live calls of games, but now is also just endless call in and talk shows about sports. So um, I'm
2: assuming digital AM radio Would be
0: sports talk, but it would sound clear, (laughs) right? That's, I mean, that's effectively correct. I mean, we don't, uh, we can't say whether or not. Digital AM radio would cause owners to change their programming. This is beyond the purview of the fCC the fCC did not determine that AM radio should have these formats this is These are decisions made by the large companies that own AM radio stations yeah, this um, so would
2: more go back to my uh, reference to the telecommu- to the telecommunications act, perhaps that you know the federal government has allowed for media consolidation and that 's played a role a slow transitional role in the sound of am radio over the generations uh but there's other factors as to why am radio uh you know is. i mean am radio been
0: shifting to talk programming for a long time i mean ever since fm became predominant in the 1980s uh am radio shift began a long shift to to talk radio but there's also community radio on the am am i not mistaken and
2: uh, is there any college radio on the am dial jennifer
1: there, I mean, there's a handful of college radio on the AM dial. I've also heard religious radio on AM. So, you know, everything you have on FM might be there, but I I agree that it seems more kind of skewed towards talk and sports.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, that's, it is. I mean, we know this, uh, that it is skewed towards talk and to news talk and sports. And yeah, there's, there's nothing stopping any any other sorts of radio. There are public radio stations, I am there's, there are community stations. I, there's actually, I do not know of any community stations in the U S whose principal signal is AM. Right. What I know about is stations that added on AM signals when they became available. Uh, because in, in, let's say in places like Colorado, where um, I believe KGNU, the community station out of Boulder now has an AM station that's in the Denver area. Um, those AM signals travel across mountainous landscapes better than an FM signal will. So, yeah, traditionally and historically, you
2: know, I've learned this from radio survivor interviews. Uh, AM just is a is a continent spanning spectrum compared to to the FM radio,
0: especially at night. Um, at night, it bounces off the ionosphere, uh, so it allows you to cover large swaths of territory. Um, uh, pretty well. It, it travels more along what's called a ground wave during the day, uh, so it may not go as far. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, it did provide some areas of coverage, especially in rural areas and mountainous areas where FM signals are, would be more expensive, basically, to, to deploy. Um, so we do have these kind of outliers. I know that there's a... Uh, um, there's like an, uh, a rock station in Northern California that also has an AM signal. You'll find, right, you and know, and there's some other know. sorts of music formats, but also an increasing AM format is basically um, are ones that serve language minorities. There's actually a couple of Russian language stations uh, in the uh, Portland area, because there's a fairly large Russian-speaking community between here and uh, Southwest uh, Washington State. Uh, so yeah, there's it, grew, a it grew in
2: the '90s, if I'm not mistaken. It's yeah, like, so there's a number of it's AM like a stations. Post, post-communism
0: <laughs> diaspora. There's also, uh, you know, uh, there's, believe there's still a Chinese language station here in our area, and you'll hear that in a lot of a lot of uh, regions as well. You hear a lot of, um, you know, minority language serving or or what are called broker time stations. So instead, right?
1: I was just thinking about that because I've heard some of those stations where a brokered station might have a bunch of different types of language programming from many different cultures. So you might turn in at different times of day and hear. Radically different shows right. in
2: different languages, and that's and that's a radio station that's organized a little bit like I'm going to use the metaphor of a flea market, where individual uh, shows get to rent out a little bit of booth space, a little bit of time, correct? And it can be a real it's uh, it's sort of mix. like a
1: combo of community radio and yeah. flea market. It's a very it's actually pretty fascinating, I think.
2: They just have to invest a little bit of their own money in their community show, so it's a <laughs> it's definitely a commercial like. Well as radio. we learned
0: earlier this year community radio in in uh New Zealand actually repre- looks right. like that model a little bit more because the actual um the it's called community access radio in New Zealand and the groups on many of the stations are responsible for uh paying some portion of their time their airtime while the station right. itself will receive some funding um mostly f- through government funding, um, the communities represented on the air are also expected to cover some of the costs, basically. So it's not really yeah. they're renting the time as they're covering the costs associated but, with the broadcast.
2: But the amazing thing, always worth mentioning over and over on episodes of Radio Survivor, is that your, the friends of Radio Survivor that you met and interviewed in New Zealand were, again, shocked and uh, uh, confused about what life might be like at a radio station if they had to fundraise the way that American right. community radios uh, have to fundraise for themselves, they, those radios in New Zealand that have uh, diverse community uh, programming that's sort of um, like a real uh, interesting mix, almost uh, because it's been legislated to be an interesting mix of community shows, um, none of them are fundraising on the
0: air. No, but they may, or- they may air commercials. Yeah. Uh, this this divide that we have in the United States between non-commercial and commercial radio is fairly unique. Um, in most other countries, um, the only non-commercial radio would probably be the state-run radio. So it could right. be BBC, Deutsche Welle, um, the CBC – Entirely um, funded by citizen taxes. Right. And then you know, I know that college stations in Canada, for instance, are able to air commercials, and many do. Not all do, but it, huh. it it's not necessarily prohibited in their licensure or charter, and the same is true of the community stations in uh, New Zealand. Some run advertising, some do not, but it's an individual choice. They can make station by station. There's no general prohibition, even though the terms of their license. State that they're there specifically to be community access radio. They can't just suddenly shift over to a different format. Right. And it's uh,
2: not unlike how non-commercial radio stations in the United States, especially in this decade, as opposed to three decades ago, often have underwriting, uh, which is you know structured different than commercials, but not unlike a commercial. Right.
1: Right, and I mean and certainly if you listen to public radio a lot of the underwriting sounds identical to commercials on commercial yeah. radio. When I hear, So when I it could be true. very confusing, I'm sure, yeah. to somebody from outside the United States. Like how hear, is that a commercial and that not?
2: A particular uh, a particular supermarket brand that does underwriting on my local uh, public radio station and they talk about the cookies that they
0: that you could go buy right now. It
2: feels it feels very much like they
0: a They just can't tell you the price. and they can't actually say go buy them now. And they can't tell you that they're more delicious than somebody else's cookies. Really? Because I have definitely... But
1: they can say their slogan, which kind of veers (laughs)
0: in all of those
1: areas.
2: They can't
0: say our cookies are more delicious than those crappy cookies at the
2: other supermarket. I have come extremely close in uh, previous eras of our civilization when driving around in my car listening to the public radio station was a thing I would do, uh, to pulling into the local supermarket chain mentioned in the underwriting
0: content and purchasing said cookies. So yeah, well, wow!
1: Well, advertise underwriting know, works. You have to
0: know that, uh, that they have cookies. <laughs> I mean, it's important for you to know that it's good public information, but, but and, like, getting back to sort of AM digital radio here, right? So, yes, thank you. <laughs> so it's okay. Uh, these are the kind of rabbit holes I enjoy on a, on an episode such as this. Um, you know, basically what's going to happen now is that stations will be able to opt in to completely turn off their analog signal.
2: Hmm. So
0: that means that when they do this, if you have, let's say, your garden variety, portable transistor, do we call them transistor radios, uh, boom box, uh, table radio in your house. The old the old radio in your truck. the Yeah, the old radio in your truck or car. Um, your the emergency will, radio. will effectively disappear for you. Right. The station will effectively go away um, and you will you will there will be some noise left in the wake now right now there are stations on the AM dial not many compared to FM who are digit who are broadcasting in the hybrid HD radio mode right that's where there's an analog signal and a digital signal alongside of it squeezed into kind of the same spectrum um, there's there's been fewer of those on AM radio the technology Squeezing them together has is is not been as good. I'm, Ultimately, assuming there's in a practice,
2: cost. I'm assuming it doesn't sound so great on one or the other.
0: Well no, the so- AM signals actually sound pretty good. Um no, I've I've tuned it in. There are some stations here in the Portland market. Um there were some stations in the Chicago market where I used to live, and it sounds pretty good. Okay. Um but it also there's a tendency for that side. Signal to cause interference with other signals more easily, so because it's basically this digital hash, it's not it's it's a noise, is what it, it sounds like on the radio, um, and so the, and, and so especially at night um, when you know reception of long distance signals goes up and and overall the AM dial has become noisier, right? I mean, this is ultimately why the decision was made, is that anyone who's listened to AM radio recently realizes, you know, you right. get a lot compact, of noise.
2: Compact fluorescent bulbs and Wi-Fi units and even the stoplights yeah. that you drive under are all sort of broadcasting You might hear a noise, noise as you
0: drive under, right, a stoplight uh, on the street that because New noises. uses LED lights. Um, you know, and, and the digital signals are are somewhat more immune because mm-hmm. basically, unlike analog, right, analog, you it you can have a really strong signal, nice and clear, and it can fade it can vary and it'll get noisy it'll get it'll get more clear you know digital signals are on or off right you hear it or you don't and you know you may have experienced if some if you ever watch over-the-air television right now right which is digital you might be watching television at times it starts to break up right it gets blocky and glitchy and whatever because the signal kind of right gets weak
2: but that fuzziness looks nothing like what Gen X used to see right. when the TV would get right. fuzzy. it, it, in the it, it 80s. becomes
0: right rather than being just sort of uh, fuzzy. It becomes like watching a bad stream or a bad uh, video yeah. conference. It stops being watchable at all, right? It, and, yeah. and, and and you lose things, and that's basically how how digital radio will perform.
2: What and, that Paul, means this is this is a this is a transition that that some of the radio industry some of the owners have been uh you know lobbying for for a long time like because uh i mean it well, do you know why
0: yeah i mean basically i mean there are some radio owners and, and these tend to be actually some smaller groups rather than the the big conglomerates that dominate radio that we think of i mean many of them honestly believe that um that all of the interference and and the poor audio quality of am radio is depressing their business right and they believe that with a a higher quality signal essentially these digital am signals which will be clearer right and sound a bit more like fm radio um they're not quite as good but but closer to it um you know will ultimately uh allow them to hang on to their audience some more that's sort of the the giving them the most credit i think is that's one (laughs) of their arguments um you know, and, and there's reasons to believe that's true. I mean, and they also think that because most of their listeners are in cars or in, in vehicles, which in the last 10 years, um, a very large percentage of new vehicles are equipped with an HD capable radio by default. Um, they think, well, if people are mostly listening in cars, we'll, we'll catch it. Oh, so will last year's model of with a digital radio be able to tune in this brand new yeah.
2: AM digital technology? Well, it's
0: not brand new. It's HD radio. It's the same technology which is right. already in, in use. It's just they're going to turn off the analog part. And
2: why there's – Oh, in- so there was already AM – yes, you, you, right. you mentioned that. There yeah. was already digital AM radio in this country. The stations just were, were legally it, it denied the opportunity to switch
0: off their it's, analog. It's hybrid, right, which yeah. also means that the digital part uses up less spectrum, right? right. So, it, so then it's a little more compromised in terms of both the power they're allowed to use – how far they can broadcast a digital signal, as well as the bandwidth, which is roughly equivalent to how how high quality the signal is. So in this case, they'll be able to have a higher power signal. It'll be purely digital. Um, they'll be able to reach more people with that digital signal. Um, as do you well. think most of
1: them will turn off their analog signal? Because I'm thinking most about... Most
0: AM stations? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so do you think they will jump on that offer because I'm thinking about people who don't have HD radios, who have emergency radios, who are, you know, like listening to the baseball game on their transistor radio and they would completely lose that audience.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. As far as we can tell, all the major radio groups have really not signaled any desire to make the switch, so I think your KGOs in San Francisco, your your 1010 wins in New York City, uh, your WGN in Chicago, etc. These stations are probably all going to remain analog. Now they are all powerful stations with huge footprints and huge investments in the technology, analog radio, and they, and most of them have really large audiences, right? So they're probably unlikely to want to uh, mess with that, right? Um, but in in some smaller markets in particular, some medium sized markets, um, you might see some folks thinking, "Well, my listeners are mostly you know mostly in their cars or online and and so you know we we may go we may try it out um, you know again it 's important to always note that this is something which the FCC is giving stations permission to do, but there 's no they 're not being required to do. And and so it's going to be on a on a sort of station by station basis. Uh, they may they may test it out and see and see how it goes. And is um, there
2: you know we talked on a very recent episode of Radio Survivor. We talked about how there's a new window opening up for uh, community non commercial radio stations on the FM dial. Full power radio stations uh, a window that the FCC is uh, scheduling, which is a uh, like a once in a decade opportunity to put a new non-commercial radio station on the air somewhere in the United States. Uh, is something similar going to be possible for the AM? Like, no. And, and is AM even have a non-commercial?
0: No. Yeah. So, so, so when the FM dial was moved to 92, I'm uh, sorry, from 88 megahertz to 108 megahertz. In the middle of the <laughs> past century. In, in, uh, yeah, the late forties, I forget the exact date. Um, when that happened, uh, public interest groups specifically lobbied the Federal Communications Commission to set aside part of that bandwidth for non-commercial educational radio. Because at that point, already commercial radio was the broadcast system. The, I, while there, there were stations that maybe didn't air commercials, they did so by choice. Right, There was yeah. no specific designation for these stations. There was no national public radio. There was no analog of the BBC in the United States. And so there were public interest advocates who lobbied the FCC to set aside right. 88 to, to 92 space. specifically for uh, educational and non-commercial purposes and on I'm the FM that dial. At
2: the, I'm assuming that, that at the time they were making an argument, and I think I've heard this in, in documentaries uh, many years ago, that, that without this... Uh, Without this uh, set aside spectrum just for them, they were being crowded out of the marketplace by commercial yes. interests.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and and the the government had already spent some time breaking up large radio monopolies. Right there, was, there was used to be the NBC Blue and Red Network. Right, it's a Two thing that
2: can happen. Big in America nationwide, under
0: certain, certain uh, political climates monopolies networks. can be broken up. Yeah, and that's where we got ABC. NBC was was broken up and one one of those networks became ABC Yeah, competition yeah exactly so uh yeah so that so that's why so on an AM station certainly you can have a non-commercial signal it's yeah. you're perfectly allowed to do so um but there's no special window for it um you know there may be a window for AM licenses at some point in the near future so it is not as if people won't be able to get a new radio AM radio station um it but it, there will be no special provision made for non-commercial non-profit means um and that and that'll that'll just be that um you know there is at this point um am stations are permitted to have fm translators right so that so you can have a repeater station on the fm dial that principally repeats the 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 uh, programming of an AM station. This has been part of the so-called AM revitalization effort, right? Um, as they have called it, revitalize AM by letting them move to FM. Right. We 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 talked about it. Like I'm 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 going to guess five years ago
2: on radio. Survivor.
0: Yeah. So I don't. I would not be surprised when we see am stations taking advantage of full digital operation some of them will be or maybe all of them maybe will be ones who have already obtained an fm translator so that they can basically say well if you don't have an uh, hd radio right if you're not in a car essentially for most people um, you can still tune into our fm signal and the what FM about, signal uh, will probably have a smaller footprint. They're smaller, they, they're smaller stations, but, the, you know, they won't be leaving the, the analog dial altogether.
2: At the risk of uh, shifting our brand into gadget reviews, what about cheap HD radios? You know, so many There's, other things have gone down. There price. are two.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah. there are two, uh, uh, you know. And so, how cheap is cheap. Because radio uh, FM radios cost a dollar now. Yeah, no, right? I mean seventy five dollars.
2: Yeah, so it's not cheap enough yet.
0: And it probably will never will be. Okay. I mean, because there's not demand. I mean, it. You know. Um, right. So yeah, because seventy five dollars is the price of the new Raspberry
2: Pi keyboard supercomputer. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's
0: well, like if we take as a, a parallel, radio seems like a like not a good deal. There's digital broadcasting in Europe. Right, there's digital broadcasting in the UK, and it uses an entirely separate set of frequencies specifically set aside for radio. Um, it's called DAB, right? And in in the UK, you can buy a digital capable DAB radio that gives you access to to a whole set of stations that are not available on FM. And the station and the radio will pick up both DAB and FM. And I think that those those radios now are get to be as low as. Uh, effectively, like around forty U.S. dollars, right? And I'm I'm kind of assuming well, so, that. So you're basically talking about like the price of a nice, a decent Bluetooth speaker at that point. Not a ton of money, right? And and the, and the principal reason people buy them is because they get access to stations that aren't on FM. So there's stations like BBC Six Music, which you can hear online here in the U- in the U.S., which is like a, a modern rock. It's I mean, I listen to it. I like it quite a bit. Um, It's only available on digital radio or the internet in the UK, right? And that's one reason why you may have a DAB receiver. Of course, there are DAB receivers now in cars. And then, as we've talked about before, Norway um, has gone almost entirely over to DAB digital radio. So there's a few – there's some markets still with some local FM radio stations. But for nationwide broadcasts, it's only on DAB radio. And so because there's a big enough market that's millions and millions of people across Europe – yeah, you can get a DAB radio for you know for for forty dollars or so. But here, you know, as a consumer, you, you might ask, well, what's what do I get if I get an HD radio? <laughs> right. <laughs> there are on the FM dial. There are subchannels. There are other program services that are different than the main channel. You can and so there's some interesting things to listen to. I own yeah, we, an HD receiver. Oh.
1: Yeah, we even talked about, you know, the high school radio station in Vacaville that has, you know, right. student radio art on one of their H D channels and you know, that was tempting to me to sit in the parking lot in a car in my car that gets H D to to check out all those sub channels, which they don't I believe they don't even broadcast those online. So that's a special circumstance where you're only getting those interesting sub channels over h d and nowhere else
0: yeah but that 's pretty rarefied i mean to, there are very few i think, and i haven 't done a full audit here, but there are very few i think h d only channels that are not also at least available online like mm, that's going to be yeah. that's going to be a pretty rare circumstance um, you know and, and
1: that's I, a rare that's a rare station PCS that's a radio rare station we're talking so.
2: about. yeah absolutely well, I, I think it's com- i think it's safe to say it 's a one of a kind yeah. high school and middle school. Radio station uh, with student programming
0: and also an HD <laughs> on HD. Power low power FM. Low power. We yeah. also know it to be the only low power FM station in the states with an HD and signal. We we and the um and the the, the
2: gentleman who runs the place uh, was a guest on Radio Survivor. Uh, <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago. I'm Ralph Martin sure about eight episodes
0: ago (laughs) yeah
2: but anyway so
0: this will be interesting to see how this how this rolls out and and what stations uh, choose to go with it there have been two stations that have piloted at least so far in the United States so and they'll be able to give the the FCC notice you know and then they have maybe 30 some days to be able to go ahead and and uh, make the changeover Um, and 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 you know principally we'll see you know what what they find themselves to be successful you know, do they do they end up uh, changing back? <laughs> I assume there's a process to change back mm. to analog. You know, how do audiences react? It will be will be the very interesting thing thing to see, and, and and I'll be curious to see if any of the big owners, you know, iHeart, Cumulus, uh, Entercom, the top three, um, if any of them choose to to go all uh digital in any of their markets and if so how and why like what are the what what formats you know certainly if, if you have a music format on, on on am it'll greatly increase the fidelity for those who can hear it uh i think there's no doubt about that but you know it will also mean you know i, I would i hope it we won't see the big uh news stations incumbent news stations um, go all digital because they become. I think they're they're still great public assets uh, in times of emergency, in times of power outages, in times when you know there are there are huge storms, um, natural disasters, yeah. and things. When when they're able to stay on the air, and many of these stations, to their credit, have invested quite a bit of money over the course of decades to have to have uh, you know generators and and lots of infrastructure built out so that the, right. so that even when You know, most of a city goes dark. They're able to continue broadcasting a signal that you only need. You know, a pocket radio or even you know a crystal radio kit that you could build yourself to hear. Like Jennifer was,
2: yeah, like Jennifer was mentioning a few minutes ago. Like you can, you can use the the radio you inherited from your grandmother to tune in these radio stations, right? uh, For free, right? It's a free uh, signal, practically.
1: Or your emergency, you know, your crank radio that's in your earthquake kit. I mean, what I'm thinking about is, um, you know, the stations who are sort of the designated emergency station in their area. I mean, can they even ethically, legally,
0: uh, you know, turn
1: off their analog signal?
0: I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, because they updated the emergency broadcast system 15 years ago. Was it now? Something like that. Um, so it 's a it 's a different system and and i I would expect it 's compatible with h d radio but honestly i 'm outside my i 'm outside of my engineering knowledge here it 's so, so funny because in this i would day and expect age, that that 's been thought of i i mean i uh, the f c the professionals at the f c c the career bureaucrats who love radio and want it to persist as a service um we' are going to think about that
1: well and i 'm thinking more about access to the community rather than the technology so uh, you know, if you can't reach everybody out there who has a radio anymore, are you really providing that service?
2: Right. And, and we're talking about situations like in California where people who live outside of the cell phone range uh, of service could find out about whether or not there is a reason to evacuate their homes or an order to evacuate their homes uh, only on radio. It's, a, it, it's, not, it's almost not even a hypothetical scenario. It's a It's a historically...
0: It's happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All over the world.
0: Yeah. But that'll, that'll be something I, I would have to look to see at how it uh, interacts with the EAS and, uh, in, and, in, and whether you would still be able to get alerts. It's just simply something I, I, I honestly don't know. So we have that to look forward to here. We are radio survivor. <laughs> we are here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismandel. Joining me are Jennifer Waits in San Francisco and, Eric Klein here in the same city as I, Portland, Oregon, but uh, we're still we're still remote socially from one another. Socially
2: distanced, radio. we're still
0: socially distancing as we talk about what's going on in our uh, communication environment, and, and we have to say happy birthday to the medium of commercial radio. It just celebrated its hundredth anniversary on November second. Uh, radio station KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is credited as as being the first commercial radio station the first radio station that was founded uh, with the, with the intention that it would be it would be uh funded by commercials and not by any other means 100 uh, years ago in 1920 100 the, years ago at, certainly on the eve of 1921 not the only radio station at the time by any means not the first uh broadcast radio station uh, in the United States nor worldwide, but largely credited as the first one to, 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 to identify commercials as the way to fund itself. Uh, prior to that, you know, often uh, radio stations were owned by the Radio Corporation of America um, and th- they were seen as ways to sell radios. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny. Right? If, if you're going to get people to buy this piece of electronics, you've got to give them something to listen to. Uh,
1: yeah, at, and there were radio early radio stations owned by department stores, which sort mm-hmm. of fits with all of that too and <laughs> hotels. Um
0: Unions? a lot of different
1: Yeah, a lot of different owners that you don't uh, maybe people today when it wouldn't occur to them right. the types of groups that owned radio stations. Newspapers. Thinking,
2: yeah, of course. And I'm thinking about a uh, episode of Radio Survivor that we recorded this year um earlier in the year about um Sort of this moment where commercial radio came onto to the airwaves in the United States and uh, and and was competing at that time with the recording industry, which was selling uh, selling uh, discs of music uh, for quite a lot of money and at the time uh, the two mediums were um, they had not yet developed a uh, you know a collaborative relationship uh, that's
1: right, yeah, Kyle Barnett talked. Talk to us about the intertwining industries of radio and recorded sound. Very, very interesting, you know, technology episode in a way.
2: Yeah. And th- um, just thinking about, I mean, because we live, we live in a time where most people probably have uh, forgotten that radio is not like a static medium. Like there was a time where, where you could chart the changing culture in radio uh, the same way that most Americans might know that the internet is changing very fast during their lifetime. There was a time where radio was changing very fast during America's lifetime, and this was uh, one of those conversations that we've had on Radio Survivor, just about how um, uh, how how the competition sort of fed each culture, each uh, corporate culture, the 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 commercial radio culture, and the the commercial recording industry culture.
1: Um, and there are, I mean, there are a lot of parallels between the internet. The you know the early days of the internet and the early days of radio and speaking of 1920 you know that's when you had some of the first licensed radio stations in the United States including you know some of the first licensed college radio stations right. and when you
2: say licensed it's important to like what the opposite of licensed means that people just got on the air with you know with with things they built
1: <laughs> yeah I mean there were stations doing regular programming you know in. Nineteen oh nine is that right? Um, you know, so some of st- the first claim we've had so many episodes about first claims. You know, there are first claims about radio stations before KDKA, but we're talking right now about the anniversary of commercial right, broadcasting. yeah, which was the
0: province of the Department of Commerce prior to right. the creation of the Federal Radio Commission in nineteen twenty seven. So there really there was not a separate agency of the government dedicated to communications or radio, even in 1920, this period that we're talking about, it was sort of devolved to the Department of, Congress, uh, of Commerce. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, what's important to note here, you talked about this sort of tension between uh, the, ra- the, the the recording industry and the radio industry. And for a long time, you know, essentially, r- you really weren't supposed to play records on the radio and so it was all live music live right. artists and it's fun cuz at that well, time well it was
1: hard it was hard technologically too yeah. and at so that like, time
0: the recording
2: industry wasn't exactly uh, very old either it only right. been around for for maybe one generation
0: no i don't know i i so i don't have a great history of of the of the recording industry in my head in 1920 though I mean, it's, it, the 20s are the time when we're moving from uh, purely, anal- uh, not even just purely analog, uh, purely acoustic recording, literally that shouting into the bell, into the- <laughs> yeah. shouting into the bell of the uh, of the lathe, compared to electronic recording, right, where you would use uh, microphones, uh, and and which is something which you which you would already be using with radio. Radio was always um, electronic, was all already electric, and the recording industry was not fully electrified at this point, so. Right, being able to actually interface a, uh, a record player to a um, to a, to a radio transmitter is 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 a much more complex undertaking. than The cables it have, than were it is. harder
2: to find. There weren't as many cables.
0: <laughs> or, were, well, yeah, or were there any? I mean, I don't actually know. We're getting way outside of of my. I know.
1: Well, much. well, there's stories from the founders of Haverford College's first radio station in 1923 where they talk about having to basically jerry-rig equipment um, because, you know, the turntables at that time were not such that it all was compatible like you're talking about. So they were attaching... You had
2: to wire it up yourself.
1: Yeah, or and they stick were stick a microphone
2: in the bell. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. they
1: were using maybe part of a telephone. Um, I'm forgetting, like, there's some interesting tale in the archives about this. But, you know, at that particular station, they were mostly playing... Uh, Broadcasting live performances from campus yeah. or even from local theaters. So so there were remote broadcasts in the early days of radio, too.
0: Because telephones existed, and that was the technology you would use to do remote broadcasting, and, and actually wow. used to do remote broadcasting for the better part of the 20th century. Right, um, yeah. But, uh, you know... So, the reason why I want, I, I want to take this just real quick, but you know, is that you mentioned you know the the, the tension between the recording industry and the record and the um, radio industry. I mean that that tension plays out again in the with the internet, right? At the end of the twentieth century, where still,
2: yeah, still a huge part of our culture, right, Of listening,
0: where it was you know if you wanted to put your radio station on the on the internet and play recorded music. The recording industry wasn't crazy about it, but they didn't really have the mechanism to stop you it it just was it was in, in a sort of like uh it was just not yet legislated but by the end of the of the nineties and the establishment of the digital millennium uh Copyright Act, there was now a regime where you know people broadcasting online would also therefore own royalties to the recording industries same thing happened in broadcast radio you know uh, in the early part of the 20th century uh, ultimately it was government legislation which settled the dispute which established yeah. a regime which gave radio the right to play records on the air but it, in exchange for uh, certain royalties to be paid but it's entirely possible
2: to imagine a strange alternate history where uh, where Congress outlawed the uh, spinning of records on this medium that was, uh, you know, goring the ox of the recording industry.
0: Absolutely, I mean, it's all about political power at that point, and, yeah, and there was you, one. There was definitely some guys that wished that were the case. And what you we see is that you more or less had opponents with with uh one opponent with growing uh political and economic power against another and that's where you that's usually where where you you find these sorts of detente right you find you find some agreement where everybody gets a little bit of what they wanted but probably not all of what they wanted uh and well and we move forward from there
1: and it all overlaps with you know copyright and paying right. artists um i saw a fascinating presentation at a recent conference where a lawyer was talking about how all of this is very recent. If you look at the entire history of copyright, you know, um, this is all just sort of a blink of an eye and that with ever changing technology, with video platforms, with, um, with doing all the things that we're doing in the time of COVID over zoom and other places that there is still a lot that hasn't been figured out or legislated. So, um, so these conflicts and conversations about if something is legit to do, can I play music over right. a, a Zoom call right. to do- an audience or to, over Twitch? Or right. it's, the
2: hottest, it's the hottest question of, of the, 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 the conclusion of the year 2020 is how do I make radio on the internet without getting kicked off the platform that I'm using?
1: Exactly. Cause, cause and there's a lot wanna of people want to
2: do it and they're trying
0: and you know Facebook will now kick you off as soon as you start speaking. Well, and, and ultimately music. it's because the, you know, they're kicking you off not because Facebook, I mean, let me not say anything great about Facebook. Let me not right, praise right. Facebook, but the reason why they're doing so is that effectively what you're doing is illegal. I mean, yeah, and, but it, it and, you know, and and I realize that that when I put it in those kind of stark terms, it makes people go, "What? What?" I mean, I'm just doing this thing, but and and by illegal, I, you know, I mean literally, there is statute. There's a Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which defines right. how one may play music to which you do not own the copyright. Right? right. People often so, say, "Oh, it's copyright or not copyright." No, let's be very, very specific. Every piece of music that has been recorded by anyone anywhere since 1978 is copyrighted even if it's me into a dictaphone (laughs) into a cassette recorder that i place then under my bed and give to a friend that that recording is copyrighted it is owned by me i don't have to register it i don't have to send a copy to the library of congress it is by virtue of existing let, let me finish though by virtue of existing it is copyrighted and therefore by the letter of the law for you to play that music on your internet radio station Facebook stream on Zoom (laughs) you either have to arrange with me and get my permission or you are by statute supposed to be paying into a royalty system that was established for the purpose of compensating both the record companies and the writers and the the owners of the copyright and so sound exchange yeah which is one of them. That's only one of them. Uh-huh. It's Sound Exchange, BMI, ASCAP, um, CSAC. So and, there's so, and so Google, with their YouTube radio streams,
2: has uh, established a mechanism to pay those royalties. And that's why you can have a radio on YouTube if you No, if you, you may not you have a radio. Them, no,
0: no. If you allow uh, them to, to... To monetize, yeah. To okay, so to make it more specific, right. What you're talking about here... It does get very – it gets arcane. But ultimately, yes, uh, YouTube has contracts with some record labels and some artists. And yeah. so if you have their that music in your video, they say that's fine. We'll let that happen. The recording artists are the ones who get the money from any right. advertisements that might have occurred. And so, you no
2: longer could control whether or not there are advertisements on your video. Correct. Yeah. It so you, yours, if it's
0: yeah. your YouTube video or your YouTube stream and you're playing music – and it's music that is covered under these agreements. You, they've told YouTube, you may do this, but you, yeah. the person streaming, if there are ads, you will not see the money from it. And there Rat are there's artists in music that don't have that agreement with YouTube. Yeah, I, I uploaded and, it, and a, in that case the, that your video just goes away.
2: <laughs> I uploaded an art to change the subject to something very much related to this tale. I uploaded an archive of a fundraising episode of. Uh, a a, a community, no a public television station in the 90s that i happened to have on vhs i uploaded that archive to youtube and had it taken down without any recourse because there was one jazz tune in the break music that uh that youtube uh, didn't have the license for <laughs> yeah
0: i mean this is this is the i mean this is this really tends to highlight you know <laughs> these technological tensions and these legal, really, tensions yeah. that happen so, with each new medium because the reason why Facebook or Twitch or whatever other video platform is shutting down streams of music in them is, is because is they Twitch have not struck either. these royalty agreements.
2: <laughs> these days, these days, I was going to say that the pirate radio stream of choice is Twitch, as far as I can tell anecdotally. And, but what I understand is that Twitch
0: has now been much more... They're um, looking. Well, they searching. Because, I mean because otherwise they'll be seeing Warner music, BMG yeah. music in court. I mean, you know, so they they have an an obligation, a legal obligation. They cannot actually be a rate unless they're going to pay the royalties to the um to the record labels unless they forge an agreement or Figure out how to pay the uh, statutory rate, the rate, the minimum rate established by the Librarian of Congress. They're on the hook for potentially millions yeah. of dollars that and they this, did not design their platform yeah. to be
2: used for. Frankly, and this this reminds me that in the in the recent history of the internet, there have been attempts to have community radio like channels that stream music that where where people who want to share. Their DJ sets, where people want to share their music collections or people who want to make radio for one another, can, uh, can collaborate and have an online radio station. Um, I know Matthew Lazar, like five years ago, told me about the, um, the website that he was extremely fond of that came and went in a blink of an eye. And I'm having trouble remembering. Oh, DJ. was that? Yeah. Oh.
1: I was also thinking Turntable FM. Um, turn yeah,
2: the two of FM them as well. Both yeah. of them, yeah. And how this was a place you know that came and went that allowed for community radio like, uh, you know, uh, user participation. And there are now other websites that we have talked about on Radio Survivor before, where that sort of thing is 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 uh there's room for it, right? So you can you can upload shows that you want to share, uh, in this day and age, to Mixcloud, uh, for now. And we've also talked about uh. Other websites that have uh, no longer are in business in the year twenty twenty that have gone out of business this year that once
0: allowed for that kind of music yeah, sharing. It's the online. same. It's the same conflict that gets played out over and over and over again because ultimately, under you know, in our country, in the United States, and in most of the world, you know, it's considered property. The music you create is considered property to which the person who owns the copyright owns whatever rights to it as long as well as any any. Um, profit or 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 any sort of uh, uh revenue that might come from its use and that continues continues to be the law of the land radio broadcast radio am and fm radio have been long f- grandfathered into a regime yeah. in which they owe less than every other platform but they are paying which is always fun so a lot of people but would not they,
2: know that yes. uh, just from turning on their radio That those stations are actually paying
0: for the music that they play, but you're saying that they pay a little bit less, or considerably less. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they pay only songwriters. Correct. Yeah, I see what you mean by yeah. They pay only songwriters. So the the so called uh, the royalties for the actual recording itself. So if if you play, um, you know, if you play a Johnny Cash, if you play Johnny Cash record where he is, uh, where he he's the writer. Um, he will get the you know his estate gets the royalty. Right. If, you if you pay, pay somebody's uh, cover of Johnny Cash song, Johnny Cash's family gets the royalty. Right, the and singer then also. Does not.
2: If you play the Johnny Cash cover of the Nine Inch Nails song. Trent Reznor gets gets yeah. the
0: royalty, and Johnny Cash's estate does not. Only on the radio. It's a long and every year for the last I don't know. Decade only in the or United so, States, right? Because in the in, this is only in the, in the United U- States. In the UK, uh, they pay the the players as well. Er, I can't even tell you what the laws are in any other country. All I know is it's only in the United States it has this okay. exception. Fifteen and,
2: years ago, I was told by the guy at Sound Exchange that uh, that's why the UK withholds the songwriting licenses for songs that are played on their radio stations is as retribution as it were, a tit for tat for not getting their royalties from the United States radio stations for the performance. OK. But uh, that's ancient history. Sure. Or perhaps uh, a, another another tale.
0: Every, every, every year, just about for the last 15 years uh, – Legislation comes up in Congress to end this exception, and it has not passed. (laughs) Is basically what I will say. Right, but Uh, meanwhile, people do get paid for their performances
2: and their writings if it streams on the biggest, uh, you know, internet. No, not just
0: the biggest. Oh yeah,
2: I meant yeah. I meant that that's where a lot of money now goes to:
0: internet radio, streaming, and satellite radio. Satellite radio is under the same regime as, as, as Internet radio. So every time kind of a new service has been created, it does not enjoy the grandfathering of the original. So happy birthday to commercial radio. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, what did it sound like? We didn't talk about this. So the, it's the 100-year anniversary of this commercial radio station going on the air for the first time in Philadelphia. Uh, 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 Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, thank you.
1: KDKA. I mean, interestingly, they were involved in some early election broadcasts too, which is timely to think about. And the commercial license for KDKA had been issued just six days before the election, back in nineteen twenty.
0: Yeah, they were they went on the air. Their first day was the election day that year. It was a landslide it was a landslide for Republican Warren G. Harding.
2: I am fascinated by the what first the election
0: way- to include women. Wow. Voters, the first national election in which women had the franchise. The That's right, 1920. Radio. um radio coverage.
1: Yeah, and uh, interestingly, KDKA did a reenactment this year of their first broadcast, including the election results. So, oh well, we'll have to
0: get that up there on our on We'll our put show notes to
1: that in the arc in the show notes. <laughs> well,
2: I very much want to know what KDKA sounded like uh, when you know when they were doing their work making radio. I also want to know what their advertising if that's the first commercial radio in the united states i want to know uh how how did the ads uh you know it, interact with the content where interesting where was yeah. the line um was, you know host reads like we're used to
0: in the on in the podcast Yes, world? Yeah, there would have been because you would have had no capacity to really to pre-record <laughs> to them yeah no no I mean, right an, yeah
1: another thing to point out is the audience at that point is going to be pretty small so Apparently, only a few thousand people had receivers in order to hear the election results when they were broadcast, for example
2: well, can so you imagine that would yeah they yeah, finding out the results from your radio uh, when that was the only well, I guess yeah, you'd have to get a phone call from someone who knew the answer
1: well and i've 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 read really interesting things about not only elections but also uh sports events where people would gather around at one central location. To maybe listen to one radio where, like, you know, communication is happening and then it's broadcast maybe to the masses over one radio
0: because not everybody had a radio. Those people leave and go tell everybody they meet.
1: And ADKA
0: would have been heard, I mean, broadcasting from Pittsburgh probably was heard well well out to the East Coast and well into the Midwest, North and South. So, you know, when you say a few thousand people with receivers, these are not all Pittsburgh area residents these are probably people spread across a swath of of at least a thousand mile radius i
2: want to know i want to know who was advertising on this new fangled commercial radio station uh that's my question for 2021 Uh, yeah that's uh can we ever find the answer
1: We'll we'll have to dig into the archive. i'm sure that um You know, there are all sorts of interesting archival sources to learn more about what was happening over radio. I I mean, I definitely know in the early days of campus-only radio, like in the 1940s, um, I've found accounts of the types of things that were being advertised over these AM carrier current stations. And and that was when cigarette companies and – and alcohol manufacturers like they had their college student audience that they targeted over the radio with with these ads that were legal because these were sort of unlicensed stations
2: yeah because other than print like there'd be there'd be an opportunity for advertisers to put their ads into magazines or newspapers like or books that are being transmitted through the mail but this would be like the first time in America and the world where there would be Broadcast. Electronic, advertising. yeah. Yeah. And it, that's like a whole new uh strange new world that is now um the the air that we breathe. You know, it's like asking the fish how is the water? And the fish says, What's water? Uh it's you know, the very first advertisements on electronic on the electronic was Now of course yeah, they'd be read by the host because there was no there'd be no uh, one minute sound file for them to spin.
0: No, uh, I mean and you really wouldn't the have content. the You wouldn't really have the appearance of that sort of radio commercial till well into the fifties, when magnetic tape becomes uh, somewhat more practical as an audio record and and inexpensive enough as a recording medium.
2: But it's like entirely possible that the that you can imagine that this commercial broadcast would be like uh, that the that the the streams would get crossed, that you would never really know the difference between the paid content and the. It's possible, right? I, I don't know. There there would have been no rules at that time. Oh,
1: right. I mean, the host announcements where it's sort of embedded advertisements. Uh, yeah. I mean, think about soap operas <laughs> where, you know, soap companies were sponsoring these cereals that were mm-hmm. over the airwaves and and the host would be talking about laundry detergent.
0: Right. Well, we all had the opportunity to attend parts of the grassroots radio conference this year, which was virtual. Uh, hosted by WXOX, Art FM, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. They did a fantastic job. It's hard enough – I mean, it's hard to pull off a grassroots radio conference and then to make the switch to go online, right? They had already – because originally, uh, beginning a year ago, they had planned to do it uh, you know, in Louisville, um, but they moved it online. Their volunteers were fantastic. The programming was excellent. Um, I've attended a lot of virtual conferences this year. And both you know ones that are more professional and more grassroots and there's ranked it, it was good you know and every conference relies on you know not just the volunteers of people who are organizing but to some extent relies on whoever's going to speak or present um and i I was overall very impressed it was yeah it, was, I, it, it, it suffered very little if if at all from being virtual and perhaps even because travel is expensive uh was even a little more um yeah i would not i I would not have been in louisville kentucky
2: for this uh grassroots radio conference but i was able to attend this grassroots radio conference uh and it really was amazing the the i you know i haven't been to a lot of conferences this year web conferences but this was nice that like there was a dedicated staff member i don't know if they were a volunteer or if they were paid but they're their work was professional, uh, welcoming us into the into the room and making sure we knew what was what. And right, because we did a live us, broadcast
0: as part hand, of a yeah. session,
2: and then handing us off to someone else who also was a was was you know had a you know was a part of the team of workers doing the work. Uh, we felt very well taken care of, and that was just our little corner of the. Of the they conference. had. They did a great job.
1: They had dedicated tech people, which you know. I've also been to some yeah. other conferences, and you know, the tech right now is is stressful and job. complicated. It's a, it's and it's a
2: job that someone should be doing.
1: And everybody has different technology at home, so you yeah. know, invariably you've got issues. So that's super comforting for attendees and the presenters to have a tech person. Um, what What impressed me too was that they were able to create a social component to their conference. um so they had they had a discord channel where you could have basically message boards and talk to people back and forth or even do a video you can go into a room and have a casual video chat they also had a party night where they did a silent disco and so it was over it was over zoom where you were dancing with other people over zoom and then you listen to art fm on your radio or so, like back to our copyright oh, conversation, fun. you got around it by each that, we all listened on our own, either on our computer or on our radio. we listened to the radio station, but we were all listening to it together silently over a zoom and having this big old dance party
2: there you go, and so the the, the license holders are getting paid, and everyone's having a good time listening to the same that yeah, was that was a, that is
0: a great work work around so, so
1: that was super fun um. Oh, yeah. Go
0: ahead, Paul. Well, a couple of highlights for me. Uh, really, one of the first was uh, the first uh, panel of the conference on Friday, October 9th, where we um, got to hear from uh, Professor Chris Eric from the University of Louisville and uh, Kate Jewell uh, from Fitchburg State University. Uh, both friends of the show. Both have been on here, but you know, looking at radio as resistance, right? And uh, Kate Jewell looking at a particular case in college radio. Right and and telling us about an incident in which basically R and B got taken off of a college radio station. The genre and, of music. The genre, okay. yes, in favor the black of music, and yeah, basically, right, and and or or got got and, and and the backlash had happened as a result. And I thought that that was a fascinating kind of. Uh, uh, historical situation, right? Like, and, and, and the resistance that happened because, right, it's a great way of thinking about, you know, we think of radio's resistance during times of political strife and political conflict, but it reminds us that there's constantly political conflict going on. And, and that isn't always read as political, even though it, it is, right? And sort of systematically excluding black music from a college radio station you know, uh, it didn't happen that long ago. Right? <laughs> you know, and it's made in 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 the name of you know serving what listeners want, right? In quotes, you know, and 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 serving them more uh, rock music, which is read as white music, despite its clear origins as black music, um, yeah. right? And least, and and yeah. and and the way that that the music industry and and the broadcast industry have separated out both the, the creators and the audiences by race. Um, and it was a great reminder and a great way of, of like, I thought focusing us ourselves at this time in 2020, when we have uh, the black lives matter uh, uprisings and movements happening um, in a shadow of a couple of years of me too. Um, and that, you know, community radio in particular and Calgary are right in the center of it, whether, you know, on campuses, in cities, on the streets, but that these conflicts play out on the air or behind the scenes in other ways, and, and, and just having that historical background as a way to, to launch into a grassroots radio conference was to me, a fantastic move. And of course, they picked you know two of, of the best radio scholars working today, right <laughs> in, in, in academia uh, in, in, the form, in, in the guise of uh, Chris yeah. a and, and also uh, Kate Jewell.
1: And I know that was important to the organizers to have a historical component. The conference, the virtual GRC this year, they wanted to focus on three big themes of the election, the pandemic, and um, the protests. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to weave historical bits about all of those themes. And along those lines, one of the sessions I really enjoyed was it was more radio. It was radio art, and it was history. Um, The person behind this project called Radio Influenza, Jordan Baseman, he's an artist who did this whole project about the 100th anniversary of the Spanish flu. And it was a daily episode that aired from November 1st, 2018 to October 31st, 2019. Whoa, timely. (laughs) I know. And he did all this deep dive research into newspapers he and other fellow researchers read through tons of newspapers. Um, so they steeped themselves in stories from people about the Spanish flu, and then they kind of did these uh, recreations that were these short episodes that they released every single day.
2: Oh my! We so
1: this so I, you you were taken back into what it was like during the Spanish flu. And so he talked about the process of doing this project and how intense it was, and we how we have to
2: do this as an episode because I well, have I, yeah, I questions. know. I mean,
1: in fact, I learned about this and um, and recommended recommended him to the organizers of the conference. So I was super excited to oh, hear fun. it. That's um, really wonderful. But it sounds like it was just an intense project where you know they were reading about all of this death. There was a lot of death by suicide during the Spanish flu pandemic. Mm. Um, And and he talked about how when it was over, he was sort of relieved that this project was over because producing an episode a day on this topic was really intense. Then a few months later, March twenty twenty, suddenly there's like all this interest. Like his project didn't really get a lot of interest,
2: but then after think about the flu,
1: (laughs) after coronavirus hit, suddenly people were like, "Whoa." You know, they were seeing all these parallels, like these obvious parallels.
2: Yeah, there were protests against wearing masks. in exactly. 1918.
1: So I I found that to be incredibly fascinating. And also just thinking about um, getting into the head of the creator of that project and what that must have been like just mm-hmm. is kind of mind blowing being in those archives during the Spanish flu.
0: Yeah. And I mean, those are just two, you know, highlights. We we had an opening keynote from Chuck D of Public Enemy, also reflecting to some extent on his experiences in college radio as a college student and, of course, as, as we know, uh Calgary was sort of pivotal for for hip-hop, especially in New York City, uh, where where Chuck D is from. Uh, we also heard from Ken Friedman, who is the uh, station manager of uh, Station WFMU in New Jersey, well-known in community radio circles an early um, trailblazer with regard to putting uh, community radio on the internet and archives of community radio on the internet and leveraging yeah, it to grow audience. Putting-
2: putting radio at all on the internet because he was uh because WFMU was so early, was early on. on that technology yeah so they were Yeah he talks
1: about the first he talked about the challenges of WFMU staying on the air historically
2: yeah. and
1: during during covid which we also yeah. talked to Ken about on this show right. in the Ken, very early days yeah, of the pandemic Yeah Ken
2: on uh, our fourth uh covid broadcast early on, of, yes. of you know, radio survivor did Did an episode a week at the onset of lockdown. In fact, we were a little early because we talked about it with um, radio station in the Bay Area. Since the Bay Area, uh, you know, San Francisco Bay Area was one of the first places to voluntarily lock down. Um, So KPFA in Berkeley um, happened to have because because there was uh, journalists trying to study this story. They they were also uh, amongst the first people on the West Coast to have some knowledge of what was about to happen. So our guests were actually able to take uh, take that factual scientific information to the bosses at their station and say, we're going to need a plan long before any other leaders had figured out that we needed a plan. Um, so,
1: I mean, Eric, along those,
2: yeah.
1: oh, along those lines, another one of my favorite sessions at the GRC conference was... There's a community radio station that was started by an epidemiologist, WHIV in New Orleans. Oh wow. And so he gave a whole presentation about what, what coronavirus, coronavirus and about, you know, being a radio station contending with, you know, keeping keeping the folks at their station safe, mm-hmm. but also putting out
2: proper information to the public. Did you did you just say the call letters that I think you said? WHIV. Yeah. And was that was that explicitly what what it sounds like
1: yes yes right. they're i mean they are a you know sort of public health you know uh, social interest kind of radio station that's amazing because wow. i
2: know i don't know anything about this radio station again what an incredible story and perhaps perhaps hopefully a future episode of radio survivor but i think i always want to tell people who might not have been around with their ears open in the 80s and 90s that that it was very difficult to get good information, especially if you were a kid. I actually have told this story on Radio Survivor before that the, the first place I got reasonable information about sexually transmitted disease and human sexuality was from an FM radio show that was broadcast on KROQ in Los Angeles uh, called Loveline, which then became uh, a bigger property and has a funny story on cable television. As well as the celebrity hosts of loveline the the people that went through the doors there, it was always with dr drew um and you know it's become more of a joke i don't think it's I don't take the show seriously anymore, but in my youth at that time uh hearing hearing reasonably factual information that was helpful over the radio was an extremely unique and uh life changing experience so I can only imagine that earlier. <laughs> In the pandemic, in the HIV pandemic, having frank and factual information broadcast on the radio uh, saved lives. I'm sure it did.
1: Right? Yeah. And and this is a low power
0: station era Exactly. It did not exist then.
2: It's exactly in, okay, i'm making i was a, just gonna say that I'm making it's, a new history
0: yeah of, this is it's uh, a low it's power fm station
2: wow. it's so human it rights have been on the air more than a few years so well right. we're still in the midst of the hiv pandemic so i right I, I it's a human rights my, my romanticism about the 80s and advance it into but that's the, a fair
1: comparison time. yeah um, so their are human rights and social justice radio that is mm-hmm. their that's awesome th- that is their mission
0: and, uh, and I know that uh, many of these sessions and the panels are going up on YouTube, so we'll definitely uh, link uh, the ones that are there so folks can see and learn more if you want to follow up on and see some of these sessions at the Grassroots Radio Conference. We'll have show notes, of course, at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Um, this is episode number 271. On, we should mention that Radio
2: Survivor broadcast live from the Grassroots Radio Conference and our yeah. episode number something or other. That's only about five or six numbers ago. Uh, is that uh, panel discussion that we held? Um, yeah, about how about. community
0: radio stations are dealing with uprisings and and, yeah. and both in both coverage and 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 being responsible to their listeners, their communities as well as being responsible to to their own staff, their own volunteers, the people yeah. doing the programming. We had um, we had
2: staff members slash producers from the radio station in Kentucky there, where Breonna Taylor. Was shot by police, and so they've seen protests. And we had our a uh, friend of the uh, a, 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 a co what what is the right word for the relationship? Someone I know that works at X Ray, who also was a guest X Ray talk- on the
0: community radio station, a community radio station actually, yeah, in uh, Portland, Oregon, and an affiliate of Radio Survivor. Yes, yeah, so and Survivors that was heard Wednesday afternoons.
1: And this at the conference, this was uh, one of. One of the handful of live that's right. episodes of Radio Survivor that we've done. And the first one that we did in front of a video audience. Yeah, yeah that's right. So other, this may be number, number four, we
0: I think. Right? We did Grassroots Radio Conference in Portland in 2018. Right. We Live to tape. At CBI. <laughs> CBI. Yeah. Live, live to, to, to tape. Tape. Uh, and then we did one at the um, uh, Association of uh, for Community Media Northwest as live well, to live tape. to tape. <laughs> These were the first ones
2: that were actually uh, in front of out on the radio. Yeah. yeah, except we we did an X-ray. We did an episode of uh, early X-ray on in the pandemic lockdown here in portland oregon
0: uh, uh, live on the air yeah uh, well right. live we, live was on was the air
1: mom. That was but the no episode no video audience so yeah. yes if you want to do all the first claims this
0: was the first that's <laughs> a specialty of jennifer Weeks. because it
1: it aired it aired over art fm live and yeah, it was also really live bad. At the conference, yeah, with a video, video yeah, audience. that's
0: interesting. That's right. That was great that they patched some Simulcast. of the some of these. Um, right, some of the sessions they patched through. I think Chuck D, Ken Friedman, uh, the keynotes were all broadcast live there. Gosh, I mean, we're in, we're, in we're bragging
2: we're bragging a little bit about Radio Survivor, but now that I think about it, <laughs> I didn't quite fully wrap my head around it. Good thing probably that I don't know how many other even big broadcasts can make the same claim that they've been live on the internet and on the radio at the same time. It's a
0: kind of a weird thing to do. Well, internet, I mean, they're all... I mean, if you're live on the radio, you're probably live on the internet. Yes, yes, but <laughs> I mean... <laughs> like in, in, a, in, a, in a, a totally other platform, right? Two platforms, yeah. yeah a yeah. dual platform well, simulcast.
1: I mean, and for us, like... I mean, it was daunting for me the first time we did a... Well, the first time I joined you in a live Which is so episode in front hosting, of an audience.
2: You've been hosting... Your radio show, your college radio shows, uh, for more than like more than half of your entire but not with life. people in front of her, right? but staring
1: her. staring at a wall, yeah, and also no. like when we record uh, radio survivor, we you know we're not looking at an audience, so it's a different. And, and when you're at a conference, you're aware that you are speaking at a conference to an audience, but we are also recording a radio show and a podcast so you have to, so we're you're thinking about multiple audiences right. simultaneously and then with the video it adds a whole other layer as everybody <laughs> knows right now who is participating in video calls
2: my my technique is to stare off into space well not, it's interesting to not me look
0: at the screen is it reminds so me that i actually, can do my job as a radio host yeah i'm gonna press you on your first uh, claim here eric because you know it was really in the 90s that the the phenomenon of radio shows also becoming television shows but really just broadcasting a video feed from the studio started to webcam uh, become more common well well in the 90s even before webcam there was television versions right yeah i'm
1: thinking about like howard stern
0: howard stern broadcast his his show but it was really just cameras mounted right. in the studio but right. there was but also, also a lot his, of uh but howard stern's live show would go out on the radio
2: live but the tv version was broadcast a couple of days later on cable
0: but then there was also a lot of um sports talk shows right imus and imus right. we remember don imus uh right. imus in the morning as well as a lot of sports talk radio shows in the 90s started to be simulcast on cable okay. and and again this is mostly cable and broadcast radio not really internet. Well and
1: I'm wondering about so Love Line when Love Line was on MTV did it was that, that a was, completely yeah. no. separate show separate from show. the radio? It was like a okay. reboot, yeah. Okay.
2: Cuz the yeah, the radio show was a, was was something else. I mean yeah, similar. Was, was similar in tone and they took, you know, they took audience questions on the TV show I believe and that was extremely it, it, this was a call-in radio show in you know the Los Angeles media market that I think also started you know then they uh, they grew they grew into a syndicated program that could be heard in other cities around the country. Uh, at its peak, what an interesting thing! I've never quite realized that the history of Loveline as a radio show is something I want to know more about. Well, I think we haven't we talked listener. about this
1: before. Like you can find a lot of the Loveline archives. I've right. run across them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 a show which uh, really took advantage in a national way. uh, The safe harbor, Uh, right? So safe harbor is from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., and that's a time in which indecent programming may be aired. Everyone, you know, we often talk about how you can't use certain words on the radio, but really, it's you can't talk about certain topics in certain ways with certain words on the radio. But it's not true. You know folks who work in in community culture often think about this more so than folks than listeners, but from ten p m to six a m the restrictions are off
2: right they still had a delay, and
0: they still would cut yeah you they off were still basically obeying you know they weren't allowing you know the seven dirty words as are often known
2: yeah, and there's was also a certain culture among listeners
0: you you came to understand very quickly. That there were ways to ask your question. Right. But the way they were able to get the syndication to happen yeah. is because they could assure um, program directors and general managers that because they were airing the program. As I recall, when I lived in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, it aired on WPGU, which is the college station, but it's commercial. That's right. Operated yeah. by a, a separate non a separate nonprofit that also owns and operates the um, college newspaper. Right. Um, They aired it at, I think, 11 PM uh, central time. So they, you could assure a station manager that, you know, one will still like, you know, we'll still kind of keep the dirty words out and, and we'll, we'll euphemize some things, but we can talk frankly about it. Because you know, frankly, station operators tend to be extremely conservative—not necessarily politically, just conservative in terms of worrying about these sorts of things. We will keep it very, you know, but by by the fact that it's on after ten p.m., you really don't have anything to worry about. Right? You're not going to come in for a fine because the thing is, is that under broadcast law if love lines you know if you air a program that's syndicated but you air it at 3 in the afternoon and it and it airs airs something that that brings you in for an fcc fine it's the station that aired it that pays the fine
1: right,
0: <laughs> right not often. not the not the syndicator who who uh who sent it who was responsible for it so you know it and and and, it, and there's not a lot of great examples really of of commercial radio in particular taking advantage really of the in, in a way that is um sort of more uh, pro public information, taking advantage of the um, of, of the safe harbor in the fact that yeah. it, it, it's not only about the you know the restrictions, but that there are also times when there are fewer restrictions. I just
2: think yeah, really- and
1: also it just makes it. Um, I, I've been to sessions at conferences with lawyers where they a lot of people. There are a number of college stations that have sex talk shows that are educational in nature and and most broadcast lawyers say, well, that's okay, you can air that because it's educational and content. But like you mentioned, Paul, like, program directors still might be a little wary of that and might prefer to air that later at night.
2: And that's certainly a like a like a cultural standard that was not available to radio broadcasters, no matter what the law was, in, in decades earlier than even, let's say, the 80s and 90s.
0: Well, not necessarily. It's, it's, no, it I depends mean, on the community. Well, it, right. I mean, it was ultimately, I mean, what it was before that is... Just cultural. Just <laughs> cultural, a cultural taboo. Yeah. What are you... Right. What I mean... KPFA in Berkeley, you know, right? Was, WBAI was in New York, probably and very well known for airing, you know, the first dis- open discussions of about homosexuality, um, you know, and, and you know, which was otherwise a taboo subject.
2: Right. Regardless well, well, of speaking Survivor, about. Intercourse. Radio Survivor about ten
0: months ago, we had Brian Deshazer
2: on to talk about his archiving project, and we 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 listened to a little bit of WBAI right. call-in radio program talking very frankly about. Uh, homosexuality and gay sex and uh, with the, the call in was from a kid from a 16 year old talking about his sex life with the, with the host. And this was in 1969. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that, that's a unique moment in radio history. I just, I was, I was just uh, thinking about how excited I was about love line for a minute. Um, although I guess now the lines are blurring already, but just to me, it's the, it existed in this sweet spot where, now that time has passed i don 't I think about radio as just being such a um, i don 't think about radios being focused on on you know youth content that 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 really uh pushes boundaries and pushes the envelope i think well, about i podcasts i think doing it
0: really that. depends on where you are yeah i think you know i I, I hesitate and i 'll challenge any sort of blanket statements of course Broadband is not as ubiquitous as we like to think it is the use of mobile devices is not always as ubiquitous as we think it is. Um, There are, you know, regardless of, you know, both in the United States and elsewhere, where people may share mobile devices, uh, be therefore limited in what they might care to look up or use it for, uh, because (laughs) they know other people are also using it. You know, um, and I think that radio still comes in And it's still more heavily used in some communities than others, Um, so I still think it's there in opportunities. But you know, the reason why Love Lines stands out to you, Eric, is because it stands out because it's ultimately marginal in a lot of ways, and it's rare for something like that to have achieved that even that level of prominence. But I would not say that it was a mainstream phenomenon, and it was not something which you know even the average person might know about. Although still. Someone who was a listener to basically modern rock formatted stations in, the, in, the, in that time would have known about it. And they were most likely to be somebody who was, you know, a, a teenager or, or a, um, you know, in, in their 20s. I'm just um, fantasizing about pitching BuzzFeed of the article to be like, well,
2: you might know about Savage Love, the podcast where frank conversations about human sexuality and listener call ins are available and it's, you know, pushing the boundaries. But
0: did you know? That there was this other show for gen x anyway yeah i Hi. mean
2: that's my angle
0: that's sure my and 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 i think you know radio still does fill that role still can fill that role um you know there are no rules against it and 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 hard and, and fast and and what we're not seeing right which seems to be less common but i don't I would love it if someone would correct us. Uh, send us an email podcast at radiosurvivor dot com. You know, is that there isn't sort of a nationally commercial syndicated show? Though I think Loveline still exists. Um, I don't believe it's yeah, bet, still on the air. I
2: bet Doctor Drew's still doing it.
0: <laughs> I think he's finally been replaced. But uh, again, we, imagine was, a world where Doctor Drew was young um, and,
2: and giving advice uh, about things other than uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean. It was, before, it was pre-reality uh, television, so they were doing a job. They they seemed much more human to me then than they do now.
1: I mean, I'm also thinking about that's a time when you heard a lot of, you know, late at night, different sorts of public affairs shows on commercial radio stations. Yeah, weirder, um, weirder, like radio. local music shows, and um, so I'm I'm not up on I'm not uh, I'm not up on the current state of these sort of niche shows on commercial radio stations. So I right, can't really speak where- to that.
2: Even I mean, it's like because they had human bodies in the building they, they you know there was a little bit more freedom to throw different things at the overnight wall as opposed to uh you know locking the doors like most stations I'm sure are tempted to these days after ten p m right why bother having uh you know people around who can break things overnight uh just let the computer handle it
1: so loveline still exists,
0: yep. Cool. It still exists, but it's now on Channel Q, which is an LGBTQ network. Oh, so owned, there you go. Owned by Entercom, which is the third largest uh, radio company in the United States. Um, principally, it's and it's only heard on HD radio.
1: <laughs> there you go. Ah, oh my circle. God, we're full
2: circle. I know. It's on
0: <laughs> HD radio um, on about twenty stations. So it's a network that's on these HD radio subchannels. Um, I'm, right, and they play
2: like party music. I think of them as like an electronic dance music format. Okay. Yeah, I've maybe. This. But I'm pretty
0: text. sure that you can listen on the internet, so I don't think it's yeah, it it's not exclusive to HD Radio. Um Entercom owns com. Uh and and it's uh, I believe you can stream it there. I believe they have Oh,
1: it and Love Line began wasn't that with other hosts, not Dr. Drew? Oh, there you go. DJ Jim Poorman Trenton, DJ Swedish Edgel. I know what and Scott English Mason. Eagle.
0: Swedish Eagle.
1: Eagle. <laughs>
2: and I, I listened to Love 1983. when Poor Man was the host. And I was a listener as a child, uh, an old child, when he lost his job for doxing a manager at the station. Oh, my there God. Go. He, gave out, he gave out the f- home phone number of one of <gasps> his bosses.
0: That's a very Howard Stern kind of move. Yeah. Um, only Howard Stern fared better.
2: Um,
1: well, that's So great. Dr. True joined in when he was a med student.
2: Right, so he was a he was a a, a, a youngin, yeah, yeah very and young. was and that was really important back then for the brand that like you could talk to a doctor who wasn't as stodgy as you know your father. Totally, but now he is your father, an old Do- guy, <laughs> Doctor Drew is is a grandfather at this point. I'm sure
0: sixty two, so uh, <laughs> he is sixty two <laughs> years old, Doctor Doctor Drew. So the internet tells me, so Wikipedia tells me, um.
2: Boomer and a, and then adam carolla
0: became uh the host
2: uh, somewhere after poor man uh so prior to his uh secondary and, tertiary and now career.
0: you know a still hanging on podcaster yeah. apparently okay. people listen to him uh, <laughs> and apparently he's a COVID denier
2: how is he really <sighs> yeah i just that that's that's a Jeez, fact that i'm willing to put please. on the podcast that uh he was upset the strenuous nature of the lockdown dr on, drew on needs on to call
0: him and yeah exactly uh, give him
2: a talking yeah to. they need to get back together again
0: let me tell you that okay a show
2: oh that would be a good show i'm pitching that the idea of of a of a covid skeptic and a medical doctor having a call-in show a nationally syndicated call-in show is not a bad way to to, to unite the nation around radio
1: I think we need to thank people for for continuing to listen to this extended uh, <laughs> down the rabbit hole version of down our the rabbit hole podcast. you listening. The three of us have you. not been together in a few weeks. Yeah, we
0: started so. in a good place, and we're still in a good place. Oh, I, well, so, <laughs> we serving, I apologize I mean, if if this was no longer on topic. We're, no, I it's
1: wanted, fa- it's fascinating to me. I, was I need to reading. add a, I need to add a PS to this because a recurring fill in on Love Line was Emily Morse. Sex with Emily it was her podcast, and she was some reality show person too. Huh. So was she it's
2: really? that's nice yeah. because I don't. There weren't very many women on the show back in, when when I was a listening yeah. member of the audience. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there were guests, but it was certainly not like on the list of concerns of the producers that it was. Yeah, she had a 2012 reality, reality
1: show appearance on the Bravo series Misadvised.
2: Call
0: in talk show. Advice. And I think she still makes sex with Emily, doesn't she? She's still got her pod, pod podcast, I believe. It's. I mean, I do think a lot of that sort of possible frank uh, discussions of sexuality definitely move to podcasting, where you don't have to worry about program directors or general managers,
2: right? But uh, but the, just just the very nature of its gigantic national presence and being a live call-in show, uh. Oh yeah, she's night, on XM. A late-night live call-in show with a national presence is a pretty cool thing nowadays. Definitely, uh, it's definitely more in a political talk realm if it still exists, right? It's it's a rarer thing, and uh, and that show.
0: I don't know what the workers who were screening well, calls, it's a podcast and xm but yeah, so yeah. I don't know. What,
2: I don't know what the workers who were screening calls were up against, but they definitely had a Large number of listener call-ins. It well, was not like a rare occurrence. It was,
0: yeah, it was I mean, when you have show. a show like that, the more calls you have, the better. It makes it much easier, actually, Right. because you can be choosier. It's funny well, you should mention SiriusXM. XM. I've not told the audience, uh, we'll tell the podcast audience. Oh, here we go. Now, that I now we'll work for you. Sirius XM and Pandora. That the company I work for, Stitcher, also formerly known as Midroll Media. Uh, has been acquired officially by Sirius XM Radio, and, uh, and, and which is also owns Pandora, and so I am right. now working within that milieu, and will I'm sure just further complicate the things so I I will Whoa. and will not talk about yeah. <laughs> on, on <laughs> well, the show. We'll have to have
2: Paul now works for all the companies. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll end up if we do end up talking about satellite radio or pandora in any serious way it'll be my interview alone
0: <laughs> yeah we don't really talk about them but we really haven't talked about them very much since our focus really still is very much on on independent podcasting and college sure. radio and community well, radio and you, the you say that of but i could
2: i could start making a list of all of the times that we have gone into those realms and all of the fun Fun, well, not that I could never mention it.
0: I just, you know, um, it's right. not that it's, it's, it's absolutely well, it requires
2: a disclaimer first, I would say. You know, you've you got to let people know, which you have in the past. Like, you know, when we started talking about podcasts,
0: um, we always, we've always we always had your disclaimer about yeah. your employer. Um, and, and I'll about- just note that, that one of the things is you can have a show like Sex with Emily on satellite radio because the, uh, the broadcast rules do not apply to satellite radio, the, the content rules. Because it's, a subs- because it's a subscription service, right? But yeah, it's not- that's
2: right. But burying the lead, because Paul wanted to make this disclosure, is that there's been a lot of uh, fascinating uh, merger news in the industry in general, including Paul's company. Yes. Uh, the year 2020 has been, has been a, uh, a year of, of change in the online content company mediascape well in
0: in particular in podcasting in uh, podcasting
2: and I'm thinking of Spotify and streaming and Spotify and podcasting
0: yeah um so it'll it'll come
2: up it'll come up and we'll have a, we'll have a a brief disclaimer about or 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 some kind or of or whatever we need
0: to do yeah yes um, um
2: i i i have a disclaimer that um i'm a disgruntled former uh, community radio producer and reporter and so everything I say into this microphone is is tinged with my experiences that were so very positive as well as uh, disruptively negative uh every day it was, it was a blend of both as life often is uh so yeah we all bring we all bring things to the microphone
1: yes we all have our subjectivity and
2: that's okay I just watched a very good you know just to round out the the nonsense I just watched a very good youtube about you know is spotify evil created by an indie musician who one of the first things they talked about in the youtube was that as an indie musician his deal selling physical music was not better than his current deal with streaming he did not do you know he was which uh i think was fascinating but the reason i bring it up at all on radio survivor even though it's very relevant was he did a great job at the beginning of like saying like i'm gonna talk to you about my opinions of spotify but first this is who i am and he spent four minutes telling you his entire like uh (laughs) relevant life history that made his opinions coming up in the next part of the video um put them into context and i really appreciate that that's a form of of media disclosure that should be more common you know even among mainstream reporters it'd be nice to know who they are and why they have their opinions it's also uh Now I'm going to make a connection to last week's episode where we talked about having better racial diversity in newsrooms across public radio. It's like when you know when a person has other experiences, it changes the nature of their
0: radio production and radio reporting,
2: and it's always good to know who people
0: are. It's been fun. Thank you all for sticking with us here uh, for uh, the Band Is Back Together Again episode. Uh, you know, with, with schedules and COVID times, uh, we cherish the moments when all three of us can be together on the microphone. And, and sometimes right. we take the opportunity even when we don't have a guest booked uh, because there are stories we want to share in news. And, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, I'm just looking forward to, as I know, I think I can speak for Jennifer and Eric that we're all looking forward to discussing this with each other. You know whether it's the new hundredth anniversary of, of of commercial radio, or what's going to happen to AM dial, or what, our experiences at the Grassroots Radio Conference, and we're we're really happy that you choose to take a moment to uh, go along for that ride with us.
2: Right. Well, I, 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 it makes me want to mention that like it's a fun the one of the most interesting things about podcasts when you get to produce them is the opportunity to collaborate and focus on on this one topic you have chosen for Mm -hmm. your podcast and and uh when you have a weekly practice of of doing that work it it changes the nature of your knowledge and understanding of the topic um it's a it's a it's a nice way to uh to develop a life to have a podcast um when i edit this episode i will write down uh the the dozen ideas that we had for episodes in the next year like those are all going on a list
1: yeah i mean that's that's what's always inspiring about, you know, going to these conferences too, is that it sparks so many ideas. The conferences do, our conversations afterwards, right. you know, radio. I say this all the time, you know, looking at the world through the lens of radio is such a fun way to look at the world. There are so many things to explore.
0: We'd love to hear from you all. Let us know. What do you think? Anything <laughs> We talk about or how, you know... <laughs> Looking through the world through the lens of radio. Do you do this? How does that work for you? What do you see when you look through the world through the lens of radio? If they're still listening
1: right now, they are. (laughs) Yeah. Drop us a
0: line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Of course, we are a listener and Raider Supported Enterprise to learn more about how you can help us out. I guess we're on a podcast, so I can say, look, uh, we've had, actually had some uh, recent uh, fresh Patreon uh, supporters come through. We really appreciate it. It helps us uh, both pay the bills that are just part of having a website and having a podcast and everything else and gives us just a little bit more Freedom to think about what we do and 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 uh, go further afield when we're allowed to travel. Right, or, and one of
2: those one of those bills that gets paid. Uh, it's there's like a subscript, not a subscription. Uh, um, the when the computer writes the words down, transcription, transcription services available to us because we because we pay our our uh, podcast hosting bill.
0: Well, we haven't really made good on that yet, Eric, because those transcripts unfortunately require human. Um, uh, editing to make them well, actually there you go so it's that readable. That,
2: that's a new way to sell. We haven't our done yet done yet. Efforts. We
0: have that as a level though, which we have not yet reached at Patreon. So go to patreon.com dot com to help us out, uh, when you make like a you know even just like a dollar a month uh, contribution, you know let's just sort of predict and know when when expenses come our way that we'll be we'll be really in a position to to cover them and and ensure that we're able to put this show out you know week after week after week uh, now for more than five years.
2: I want to say something about uh, spending money on the radio show. I would love to be able to uh, talk to more people who don't speak English and to be able to pay translators to help us do radio with uh, people who know things about the history of radio in their communities uh, or the the, 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 the the current affairs of radio in their communities um, who are non English speakers what a fun way to spend uh, some listener money on on Yeah, absolutely
0: content. and right now we can basically keep the lights on so <laughs> these are these are things that we can stretch towards um, and we do so with your help and and really as we say it, if everyone um, contributed just that one dollar who we know is listening uh boy we could we could do a lot of these things uh and
2: then again the the diversity of our airwaves right now is we're three friends who have time and wanted to do this together so we've self-selected ourselves uh it would be incredible in the next five years for radio survivor uh to grow the voices that are here talking about the the topics we love and to do that um without having to rely on uh, people having the privilege of volunteer labor would, would be a game changer. It'd be really cool. Absolutely. So I'm just, yeah, this is like a, it's like a Christmas wish list that I'm
0: making here in, <laughs> mm. in early November.
1: Make that list.
0: Yeah. Go to com slash support or patreon.com slash radiosurvivor. And uh, you're listening to us as a podcast, so I hope in, in whichever platform you use, you are... <laughs> favoriting the show or which is your favorite podcast platform, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> the one you use is your favorite. <laughs> we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on Pandora, we're on I I don't think we're on iHeartRadio actually. I have to check that one. Uh, we're huh. most definitely on TuneIn Radio, we are on Apple Podcasts. Um, we are is there anything I'm any major platform that I'm forgetting? Our no live
1: episode of... from GRC is on YouTube. Is it
0: now on YouTube? <laughs> so there we are. Uh, yeah, we, we try to be available wherever you can find us. That's an important thing. It's an amazing thing about podcasting is that right now still nobody monopolizes the pipes and uh you know shows are distributed everywhere it's still a really open ecosystem and open infrastructure and that's one of the things that i i absolutely love about it and wish to see continue that you can listen to your favorite podcasts pretty much everywhere that you can get a podcast that's yeah a nice every thing. time
2: every time there's an attempt to sort of create one channel for one kind of podcast it's uh because it's you know, the grain of the culture. There are, the t- you know,
0: I, I, you know, there are places where you can subscribe to very specific things, and that's wonderful. You know, and for for pay, and that helps, yeah. you know, to 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 make a not, uh, you know, to make a different ecosystem work, and that's always been true it, it, across it's media, out there, yeah. Pay television, it. there has been subscription radio in the past. Uh, it's in, in all of these different medium media, but uh, what I what I appreciate is that for radio Survivor, we don't have to choose any one player. Um, if there's a podcast player out there, we try to be there uh, because we care more about communicating and bringing a good word to radio uh, than, than all the other concerns. So please, wherever you listen, please make sure to subscribe so you can you get it into your device every single week. Of course, you can still listen to our website, radiosurvivor.com. Thank you so much for spending another hour and some with us.
1: Thanks, everyone.